Welcome to America This Week. I am Matt Taibbi. I'm Walter Kern. And uh, once again, I'm I'm kind of on the road. Uh, there's some more Twitter file stuff coming, and so we're in in uh, in transit. But um, I think the the setup seems to work, right, Walter? Oh, yeah, I like it. I mean, I like the idea that we're roving correspondents, and you know, one holds down the home seat, and the other goes out and pierces the veil in the world. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you, usually you're the one reporting from the front lines of uh, white nationalism. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, 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 I think I did my best to fight back on behalf of Montana's honor last week. We'll see if <laughs> we'll see if Hollywood abandons ship here and you know troops arrive to to calm the situation. Yeah, that's a lot of borders to defend. So yeah, yeah. I don't I don't envy you that task, but. Yes. Uh, but all eyes this week uh, are on a place far, far away, uh, and they do this on purpose. Uh, I, I love everything about the Davos story, and I've never been there. I've always wanted to go, um, and I question now whether I'll ever be allowed to go because that's part that's part of what's funny about Davos is they make it uh, this Davos conference that they hold in a small skiing. Uh, resort in Switzerland that only very wealthy people really go to. Um, and it's sort of a safe space for uh, the architects of global government where they show up and they speak openly about things that uh, we only speculate about most of the rest of the year. And uh, what's amazing about it is that they they do two, two things that are extremely clever. One is that they, they, they hold the conference in a place that's far away. It's too expensive for poor journalists to get to easily. And then they just don't deny you. They don't give you credentials. If you come from the wrong organization uh, and you can't cover the thing. So you get bits and pieces of what, what they say out of it. And what they, what they say there is just incredible. Like it, 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 it's the kind of stuff that would, will start revolutions eventually. Uh, but at Davos, uh, where these people meet, they say the most extraordinary things, and they this week was an, yet another example of it. Well, let's give a couple of those examples. Um, <laughs> uh, I noticed that our FBI director, for some reason, is in Davos. Um, I didn't know that he was concerned with international business or, you know, uh, anything other than fighting crime here in the U.S., but he talked broadly about the merger of technological and law enforcement power and uh, corporate and uh, private sector power and uh, governmental law enforcement power, which I found breathtaking. I mean, you know, um, who needs conspiracy theories when they're out there saying it? Should we listen to the clip? This is, sure. this, is, this is Christopher Ray. Here's here's Christopher Ray, uh, director of the FBI. Who again, as you as you note, they 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 do have a counterintelligence remit, but really, there's no reason for this person to be at Davos. But he's there anyway, and here he's speaking at Davos uh, in front of the World Economic Forum, uh, sponsored by Wired for some reason. And uh, <laughs> here he is. And I think the uh, the sophistication of the private sector is is improving, and and particularly important the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has I think 
made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity but great great dangers uh, in the wrong hand. Okay. All right. So, well, first here's is the FBI he, talking about. Go ahead. Yeah. His voice disconcerts me. Uh, you know, you see pictures of Ray. He's got a kind of, you know, photogenic, uh, uh, well coiffed quality. But I'd not heard his voice recently, and it's it's deeper and sort of more self satisfied and a little more threatening in a way than I, than, than I would have expected. Um, yeah. but, but, but let's look at the content. Uh, they're making great strides in what exactly? Um, in cooperation with the private sector. Isn't that what uh, you've been reporting on at Twitter? Yeah. And it, so the, 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 the timing of that statement is a little curious given that, you know they they've been outed recently for having a basically a sweeping program of um content moderation that's organized and involves regular meetings with companies as diverse as twitter facebook pinterest wikimedia you know icloud let I me mean, god god knows what else right and uh, but, but Matt, weren't you specifically called on Twitter by the FBI on their official account a conspiracy theorist, right? For for, for, <laughs> That's right. I forgot for revealing that. this business. <laughs> that was such a classic non-denial denial. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, and and then they come out and and they talk about their cooperation with the private sector. Now, what does he mean by that exactly? Because they were already getting basically everything they wanted from the private sector um, through high-handed tactics, right? So, for instance, uh, you know, back in two thousand six, seven, eight, you know, the Inspector General of the Justice Department, they did reports about the FBI's kind of extravagant use of national security letters. So they would send tens of thousands of these national security letters every year to tech companies and companies would be obliged to turn over private user information without a warrant. Um, it could be about anything from medical records to, you know, your surfing history on the internet. And the companies had a gag order, like a standing gag order. They were not allowed to inform customers that they had received these letters and that they were turning over this information. And it wasn't for a long time that there was even a test case about this because they couldn't get around the gag order to even make uh, legal challenges to this. Um, so between that, between, you know, Operation Stellar Wind or whatever else the, you know, the, the Snowden revelations were called, the NSA programs were they were using FISA, which is administered through the FBI, um, to you know to access data uh, through private companies. They were getting this stuff. What's I think different is that now it's sort of an open cooperation with these companies. Yes, like the, the company the companies have stopped putting up even even this any semblance of a fight. I think right. Well, is we that saw- what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's from coercion to cooperation. Um, And, uh, you know, I I said on Twitter, I think that 
that the tech companies have learned to love the bomb, because as I have read your Twitter files reporting, there was some nominal resistance to this this relationship with power. Uh, And then it seemed to turn into, you know, uh, just kind of exhausted uh, submission. And then they also moved into a state of actually trying to give them what they want, even when they couldn't find what they wanted. I I mean, you know, seeing some of those uh, in-house communications showed me that even if they can't find evidence, their willingness to maybe even create it it, it is greater than one would have hoped. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you would would have thought there would have been a little bit more pushback um, on behalf of the customer, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're if you're in a in a business that depends on customer trust, and you're handing out tens of thousands of requ- you're fulfilling tens of thousands of requests from the FBI for private user information, um, and you're you're probably selling. Uh, bulk information out the back door to subcontractors like data miner, which work with the CIA and, you know, other, other government agencies. Um, I don't know. I just, I feel like uh, there has to be some kind of capitalist impulse to not screw the customer that much, you know? Um, But maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. But is this capitalism anymore? Really? I mean, you know, we've been told for decades, really, by the left that corporate power is uh, riding on top of political power. But that doesn't seem to be what we've found. What we've found is that uh, is that the, the bureaucrats and the law enforcement people and the intelligence people and so on, even the party people, have the ability to really command the direction of these private companies. Um, they're, they're not, in fact, taking orders from them. They are overriding what one would think is the capitalist interest in serving the customer with a political interest in maintaining narratives and you know uh, pro-governmental attitudes and so on. Yeah, and... and- you know, the, 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 I think there was a moment, a, a key moment in 2017 where you have the Silicon Valley um, culture that's led by people like Mark Zuckerberg, who are kind of like sort of on spectrum nerds who spend their lives coding in front of a computer screen. And the, that culture was, I, I think, kind of leaned in a libertarian direction for a long time. Um, you know, that it, it, it grew out of hacker culture, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I think they, they don't have a, a strong natural pull towards cooperation with the government. And then Trump got elected and these companies started to be hauled before Congress. Um, and people like Mark Zuckerberg, who had been very voluble in saying things like, you know, I don't want to be editor in chief of the universe. Like, we're not in the news business. We're a tech company, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
they very quickly changed their tune. You know, um, this is and this is one of the things that that bothered me about this recent hit piece uh, that the Washington Post did, trying to trying to uh, take a swipe at the Twitter files in this oblique way, where they were saying that um, the January sixth committee held back uh, valuable evidence that would have incriminated the tech companies out of fear of confronting. Uh, powerful tech companies, which is all they've done since 2017. They've had hearing after hearing where they drag these people in front of, uh, to the Hill and demand that they come up for with solutions for, um, you know, ending the sowing of discord. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Republicans like Tom Cotton even saying, you know, telling Twitter, well, I hope that you'll reconsider your stance, uh, you know, about working with data miner and, quote unquote, friendly intelligence services like the United States. Um, and I, I think they did change their tune a little bit right then, like right right in 2017. They they sort of just gave up their independence. And it's been this cooperative um, relationship ever since that um, it, it's a, it's it's no longer really private industry. Right. I think you're right about that. It's. It's some kind of hybrid something or other where the only utility of, of the fact that they're, that they're even private businesses is that they can be, they can run around the first amendment, I guess. I mean, that's, uh, well, and, and, and also they can run around our defenses in the sense that, you know, we think we're using some communication service, some social media platform on which we're sharing cat photos and, you know, um, talking to grandma or ordering, you know, books, food, uh, doing internet searches and so on. We think we're conducting daily life when in fact we're providing data at the very least and mm, the opportunity to be manipulated at the most. Um, the, the, the hallmarks of private business are competition. They don't seem to compete, these companies. They seem to all sing to the same tune. Uh, customer service. They may be serving their customers outwardly, but inside they're narking on their customers. Right, and that was, that was another shocking thing about these, I mean, not, not to go back to the, the files too much, but you have these industry meetings where all these companies are sitting in uh, on, on, you know, briefings headed by the FBI and the DHS where they're going to tell them what's what, and here's, here's how we're going to send you content moderation requests. You would think one of the companies would, would say, you know what, we're going to do a commercial saying we're not going to do this and our competitors do. <laughs> right. Um, that, that would be the smart thing to do. If you well, were just trying to make money and win market share, but Apple none of them did that. Apple has an ongoing branding theme that you know goes up and down in visibility. That they are the privacy company. That your privacy is everything to the Apple company, Apple Corporation. Um, you know, I don't trust it. And I see no reason to believe it. But you know, as recently as yesterday, I was doing something on Apple. Uh, adjusting some setting, and I, I got some propaganda about how much they cared about my privacy. But, but hmm. here's the question: Why is Christopher Ray going to Switzerland to report that the 
FBI's cooperation with private industry is, you know, making great strides. Uh, who in Davos or what about the international gathering there uh, needs to hear that or wants to hear it? Who, uh, you know, it's like he's going to report to the boss. Are they the boss? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and why is he so confident that this represents good news to them? Well, it, it, it did sound a little bit like a progress report, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the United States had been a little bit of a holdout on this front. Um, the on which front? On the on the speech front, on the resistance to um, cooperation with government front. I mean, the, there was a. Um, I'll have to look up what it's called again, but all of the companies signed a, an agreement with the EU in early 2016 in the wake of uh, bombings in Brussels and Paris, ISIS bombings mm-hmm. that basically gave um, the government of the European Union more of a say in content moderation and uh, the United States lagged behind. They didn't have a formal agreement like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also don't have hate speech laws, which we're, which we're going to get to in a minute, because um, that's another thing. Uh, so maybe the United States was the outlier. Or maybe maybe we were the country, the country that, um, that hadn't yet secured uh, a formal agreement with all of its tech subsidiaries. Well, we are, and, a, uh, we are a country with a Bill of Rights, after all, you know, and a pesky <clears throat> first 10 amendments to the Constitution. And, and, and so I, I guess that might slow our uh, progress toward total Borgification. But Chris, Chris Ray is happy to report that that, that seems to be dealt with. Um, and, and, and as you say, there was another person at the, uh, uh, at the conference, uh, European Commission vice president, I believe he was or is. And uh, she had something to report about our future in the United States too, even though, she doesn't speak English all that well, um, but 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 she was glad to report that uh, quote unquote illegal hate crime or a- hate speech laws, I guess she meant, are coming to the U.S. soon. Yeah, let's listen to this clip because this this one this one actually uh, was this was scary to me. This I had like a physiological like fright reaction to this. This is European Commission Vice President Vera Jourova at the World Economic Forum in Davos. And she's uh, speaking to, of course, <laughs> the illustrious moderator Brian Stelter. Well, we need the people who understand the language and the case law in the country. Mm. Because what qualifies as hate, hate speech, as illegal hate speech, which you will have soon also in the U.S. I think that um, we, we have a strong reason why we have this uh, in the criminal law. Uh, we, uh, we need the platforms uh, to simply work with, with the language and to identify such cases. The AI would be too dangerous. We, gotta, we have to find out who that other person was at that conference because she, she, there's a moment where she puts her hand on the knee of someone sitting to her left. And when she mentions uh, hate speech laws, 
And, and she says, which, which you will have soon in America. Right. right? And she, and, and she mentioned, I believe just before that, something called peace law. Uh, you have to understand peace law in the country. Is that right? Um, does yeah, it, I don't, does I think, it get I thought, more? I thought maybe she meant case law. I don't. I don't um, oh, I think it could I, be peace law. I think I thought she said peace as opposed to hate, so so to speak. Um, hmm. First, could she sound more like a Dresden brothel dominatrix than this? I mean, and, and, and when she laughs uh, to assure the person next to her, which s- suggests that the person next to her is an American, it will soon be coming to your country. Um, you get a sense that our democratic processes don't really exist at all. Um, that some VP of the European Union can promise the delivery of new laws to the United States. <laughs> um, yeah, the laugh was was really disturbing, right? Yeah, it was like it was it was like seeing somebody like when you're tripping and you see somebody laugh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know well, I, I, I feel like I'm tripping watching Davos. You know, I have a general observation about Davos. They never disagree about anything. You'd think that while discussing the most allegedly important topics in the universe, you know, the future of the planet, which is their self-image, they think of themselves as somehow guaranteeing and guiding the future of the planet. You'd think that they'd argue once in a while. You'd think they'd have a debate or two. But, but... Apparently, all matters are settled, maybe behind closed doors or up on the slopes at the top of the chairlift. And the face that they present is one of complete disagreement. I mean, complete agreement. They they each bring their little, you know, dish to the buffet. You know, I'm going to get hate speech, you know, legally hate speech laws in the United States. I'm going to bring greater cooperation between law enforcement and the private sector. I'm going to do X. And then they all, like their opening presents go, oh, this is wonderful, beautiful, I just what I wanted. It's, it, you know, medieval ecclesiastical conferences on the, you know, the nature of the Trinity and so on had far more, you know, argument than you see at this thing. It's, it's like a trade fair, they, they, you know, for, for cars or something. It's a, a trade fair for political, um, you know, political power. They just stroke each other's new models and, and ooh and ah, it's really disconcerting. But this is, this is the pattern of, of everything in, in modern, you know, modern Western life. I mean, we, we, the only argument we ever are allowed to see is the kind of stage managed left, right thing that they have on television. Mm-hmm. Um, the, well, the, exactly. All the rest of the, Right. I mean, and, 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 you know, the people who, again, going back to this, the, the thing about the, the, the Twitter files that I think strikes people is that this is the unvarnished uh, discussion that people have before it's processed through um, public relations uh, professionals and be, before it's smoothed over and made presentable to the public. This is, this is how, how powerful people talk to each other in private. We never get to see it. Right. And you, you, you've mentioned before the, you know, how much we used to admire, you know, Americans would admire the British parliamentary system, which is, you know, it could be so argumentative and, and, um, 
you know, and 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 wild and, and and it's back and forth. But we don't really have that in the in in the states anymore. Anywhere we, we present this kind of united front of opinion in the press. You know, this this has been this has been a huge factor in in how the media has evolved in the last six or seven years. Um, you know, they have the, they have this new ethos of if you agree with one person about one thing, you are agreeing with them about everything. So you must not agree. Um, you, you must you must not step off the reservation to agree with somebody who's not on the right team, and which just gradually creates big herds of people who all agree about everything. Yeah. And that's not natural, is it? I, I, well, it it makes you think that left-right political disagreement is a coliseum show for the people, but has very little to do with what goes on up at the top. Um, and the other thing that it causes one to wonder is how they came to this agreement about how to run society. You'll notice that this this woman we just heard speak talks about language as though it's the great programming tool for society. They, 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 they seem to agree on a kind of cybernetic model for, for society, that, that if our programming is done correctly and if uh, illicit inputs are kept out of the process, the people will all helplessly move as a group in the direction they wish us to. They're always talking about misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, um, uh, this and that. And it suggests that they see language as the preeminent tool for programming society in a manner which they find amenable. Um, and it is odd to be part of this group, this, this great mass, whose words and ideas are being adjudicated at the very top. You know, they never ask writers, people who know the most about the languages spoken in very in different nations, what they think of this process. You know, the experts aren't consulted. I, a novelist, a journalist, you, a, a journalist, aren't consulted about the uses of language. We're, you know, it, 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 we're having the very instruments of thought and um, discovery, intellectual discovery, um, crafted, sometimes confiscated from us by people who don't know or don't know or value language. Which is- by, by people who speak bureaucraties, by people who don't only not know language but use it rather poorly and in fa- in a or fashion do violence to it. Do do absolute violence to it. You know, you know, we have things like a few weeks ago, Stanford University listing a. Uh, a long group of banned words or words they hope will be banned, at least in discourse, you know, at universities and so on. Um, and Again, that's straight, it's straight out of Orwell. It's right? straight. It, you know, it's obvious that Orwell created a document that they in their inverted way saw as a blueprint and as a, you know, owner's manual for a future society. Because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't duplicate its uh, the findings of 1984 more perfectly than they do. Um, 
but 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 once again they i think they see themselves ultimately not as political actors but as reality programmers and uh and and they're going to davos to report on their successes so far on their plans for the future and to give progress reports uh on the various enterprises they're engaged in and when they're together whether they're an fbi director or a billionaire you know an fbi director doesn't make that much money compared to a guy who, you know, flies in on his own private jet rather than ours, um, which, you know, which Ray uses. Uh, but they, they have a kind of uh, comedy, a, a fraternity, hmm, sorority that, that's really striking. They seem to think they come from the same club. And I guess they, they do. They do. Right. I mean, Christopher Ray is more of, is more of a guest pass, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, but but you know he, he politicians get to be in that club, and if they're very very good at it, they get to become permanent members like the Clintons, right, or the or the Obamas. Like you, you eventually get to cash in on a grand scale if you stay in the game long enough, and then well, you become, you know, one of those aristocrats. Basically. Well, I, I noticed Joe Manchin is there, who I thought of as this sort of bloody-minded um, representative West Virginia populist sentiment. But, wow, has he leapfrogged that role into, you know, that of, you know, senator of the world. Um, and, you know, maybe, 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 his, maybe his specifically political career is ending and he's going to become some kind of consultant in the great, you know, terror. Yeah, he'll become, he'll become, um, he'll go to work for BP or whatever it is and, you know, become the VP of global communications. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe to TK News at taibi.substack.com.